Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. This is a sermon from our series, I Am, a picture of Christ through the Gospel of John. If you would like to find out more about us, please visit our website at cbcsavannah.com. Whitney Reed. I'm going to step out of the way for a few moments, which is dangerous for a, a preacher who's not up here very often, who is naturally long-winded. Um, but I want there's an image we showed last two weeks ago of the, the team from Queens. They got back, um, had a chance to hang out together last night. And so as we jump into the Word this morning, I here just for a couple, who Jesus says who he is. And I thought it was completely appropriate that you all hear just for a couple minutes this, mo- this morning how we saw God work how he is continuing to work through this team here in Savannah, in New York, and around the world. So I'm gonna turn it over to Whitney for just a few moments. Hey guys, my name is Whitney, um, and I was with the team in Queens last week. Um, first of all, thank you for praying for us and with us. Um, this is the third year that I've gotten to work with Global Gates, and um, this trip changed my prayer life two years ago. We talked a lot leading up to our week about how prayer really is the work um, and it was evident all throughout the week. And looking back at the growth over the last two, and because God went before us, we did and um, saw happen, truly only happened because God went before us um, and made things possible. So thank you for partnering with us in that way. Um, we worked with a ministry called Global Gates. Global Gates exists in large international cities. And the idea is people from people groups that we considered unreached who have little access to the gospel um, have come to larger cities looking for opportunity for work, for education. Um, we believe that God has brought them to these other cities where they have easier access to the gospel as part of his plan to reach all nations. And we believe that God has invited us to join him in that um, by reaching them while they're literally our neighbors. So we were working in a Bangladeshi community in um, the Woodside neighborhood. Um, a typical day looked like training in the morning, and then they would send us off in the afternoons to go engage the community in a variety of ways. Sometimes that was park ministry, sometimes we were going door to door, um, prayer walking communities, sometimes that was going into businesses, um, spending time in restaurants or salons, um, getting henna, sometimes we were in mosques. Um, There was one man that we got to visit, we actually met him last year, his name is Kabir. Um, Last year when we met him, he expressed interest in the Bible and told us that if he took him a Bible in his language, Um, he would read it. And so we did. And then we didn't have contact with him for the year, but continued praying for him. And as we were preparing to go this year, God made it really clear that he wanted us to go back um, and look for him. We didn't know if he even still lived there, um, but we were to go look for him. Um, This year, we actually weren't even working in his neighborhood, but we had some time one morning. And so we went over. Um, As we approached the house, we recognized some things on the porch and got excited thinking he probably was still there. Um, But when we knocked on the door the first time, nobody answered. So we took a long lap around the neighborhood, um, talked to some other people and prayed and stopped back by about 45 minutes later, and he was home. Um, Turns out he remembered us. Um, We talked for a little while. He's um, having some problems with an eye, so we prayed for healing. Um, We actually talked about the Bible again and set up to take a missionary with Global Gates um, with us who happens to be from Bangladesh, has Muslim background, Um, lives a mile down the street. And really that's our purpose in being there as a short-term team, is to find the people who want to talk about Jesus and connect them with the long-term workers. But the the morning before we went, I 
um, stumbled across the parable of the lost sheep in my Bible. And what we were doing felt like the same picture of God leaving the 99 to find the one. He had sent us out of our primary neighborhood for that week looking for Kabir, not even sure um, if he still lived there, but he sent us to look for him because our Father in Heaven is not willing that one of his little ones be lost. Um, for the sake of time, I won't share all of the really cool details that happened in those conversations, but it's clear that God is pursuing Kabir, um, and praise God that he continues to have follow-up with local believers, um, even while we're back here in Savannah. So please keep praying for us, for the team, as we try to figure out what life looks like on this side of the trip. Um, we still have contact with several of the people that we met, and I think we'll continue to um, pray for Kabir. He knows that we are praying in the name of Jesus and asked us to pray for healing. Um, and I would invite you to pray for yourselves too. I mentioned that we believe God has brought these nations to us um, for us to reach them right here where we are. There are lots of nations represented in New York City, but we have the nations in Savannah too. Um, so ask God to show you how it is that he wants you to join him in that. If you want to hear more stories, I'm sure any one of our team would be happy to talk for more than five minutes um, and tell you a lot more. But thank you again for sending us, for praying for us, um, for partnering with us for the sake of the gospel. Um, with that, I'll turn it back over to Tom. Amen. Thanks, Whitney. Send in text to Whitney saying, thank you for praying in the name of and God is calling him unto himself. And so I, I stand in awe at what God has done and is continuing to do through this team. And so really, why is it that we send teams to Queens or to other places? And, and to answer that question, there's really a bigger question that we need to answer today is, who is Jesus? Who does he claim to be? And then, who does, how does he call us to respond to him? Before we jump in, I want to share a little bit about me and my family, for those of you who, who don't know me. Um, again, my name is Tom Stevens. By day, I'm the Outreach and Missions Pastor here at CBC. My wife, Sue, and I uh, have been married for 15 years next month, so praise God for that. Um, we have four mostly wonderful children. Um, Savannah, Isaiah, Ellie, and Caroline, wonderful, um, just uniquely special, gifted people created by God who stretch and challenge us all the time. And I'm a Yankee by birth. Right, I grew up in Michigan, was born in Michigan, grew up in Indiana, but by the grace of God, married south. Amen. I love grits, and I understand what bless your heart really means. Um, <laughs> But for the first couple years that we were married, we lived in the great city of Philadelphia, all right? They've got okay sports teams. I can split the difference there. Um, two things that I loved more than anything in the city of Philadelphia, cheesesteaks and water ice, all right? Water ice, is that how you say it? Cheesesteaks and water ice. And if you had tasty cake, and I love both these things. And so as you heard, we were in New York last week. I got a chance to be on, on part of that team. And we had a few hours. One day, just some downtime, and as a city planning nerd, I'm thinking, what do I have three hours to do? Three hours on public transit. Like, that sounds like a joy, right? Nobody else? But we, we did, so we, we hopped on the subway, rode into Manhattan, a small group of us, we were gonna ride the Staten Island Ferry. I'm also cheap, I think I've mentioned that before. Staten Island Ferry is a free way to get out on New York Harbor, see the Statue of Liberty, see Ellis Island, and you don't have to pay a thing. You just walk right on with 4,000 other people. And a fun way to spend, go up there for a day trip, 
I knew, hop off the subway, right? I know the way to get there. I've been to New York before, we lived in Philly, we'd go up there for a day trip. I knew how to get there, I knew the way. We get off at Whitehall Station and we're hungry. So we start looking around, trying to find somewhere to eat, right? And all of a sudden, this glorious sight fills my eyes. I think I've got a picture of it here for you. There it is. In all its glory, a Philly cheesesteak food truck. It says right there on the side, Philly cheesesteak hero. All right, now for those of you who are educated, you already see some chinks in the armor there. Um, I won't tell you what that is, we'll let that one slide. But when we are presented with information, we have two choices. We can accept it as truth, or we can identify it as false. Those are really the two options that we have. And you can take this on face value, but regardless of whether it's food in front of you, Dominic's food truck, or Jesus, I would challenge you to investigate those claims. The truth will stand on its own and will be known. And in this case, I did. I said, I walked up, no doubt what I was gonna do, ordering a cheesesteak, not even a question. I walk up, Dominic, I'd like a cheesesteak. His first question, you sure you don't want the sausage? That's a problem when your chef is telling you to get something else. But I'm committed. I said, no, I'm getting a cheesesteak. I don't make it this far north very often. So Dominic walks back to his freezer. He pulls out this very large chunk of meat. Did not look like Pat's or Gino's in South Philly. He flat top. All right, it's unhealthy, but I'm okay with it. But then I don't hear this next thing, right? I understand the truth of what a cheesesteak should look and even sound like. I don't hear this beautiful music of the spatulas hitting together, right, on the grill chopping up the beef. He just let it sit. And I walk up, wait and give him a minute. Cheese steak, there you go, cheese steak. What kind of cheese do you want? Now you have really three options here. And I say, white American. We don't have that. All right, strike one. Provolone, we don't have that. Strike two. Cheese whiz, no. What does Dominic say? Mozzarella. And at this point, the theological point that I knew here is that the devil is a liar, <laughs> and so is Dominic. <laughs> I was not getting a cheesesteak. It tasted fine, it was okay, but it is not a Philly cheesesteak. And so, here's the reality. When we are presented with a claim, we can believe it or not, but regardless of what we believe, we respond. And in this case, my response will be a convicting, but loving, yet accurate Yelp review of Dominic's Italian sausage and food truck. And our text today presents us with the same situation. So if you would, open with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, we're gonna be looking at the I am statements of Jesus. There should be a Bible there uh, in the seat beneath you. We'll have to or if it's on your app in front of you, or the words will be up here on the slide as well. And for kids in the audience, here's what I want you to do today. I'm gonna have a word of the day for you. So that as many times as you hear the word believe today, all right, that's your word for the day. Kids, as many times as you hear the word believe, I want you to keep count, and if you count how many there are, let me know at the end of service how many you counted. So the word believe. Let's jump in. John 14, verse one. It says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. So let's pause there for a moment. 
It's important that we recognize who Jesus is talking to and the setting in which he is operating here. Each of the I am statements of Jesus take place in a different context and a different setting. And we'll hear different ones throughout the summer. And really 14, 15, and 16 all happen kind of in the same setting. And this is a specific audience and Jesus is sitting in the last week, really the last night before he would be betrayed. He's sitting with his disciples. His disciples are sitting there with the teacher, yearning to hear these last kind of words from him. He's been speaking in ways that they don't understand by the end of the night to betray Jesus to the authorities and to the cross. Peter has already been told, you will deny me three times. These are anxious times. Their hearts are troubled. And so before we even get to the points I want us to draw out of today's text, I want us to see this, that Jesus' desire in this moment is to comfort his followers and to provide them some clarity and truth as to who he is. You see, our God might be mysterious, and he is, but he is not aloof, and he is not ambiguous. And, you know, we understand the situation. Right? How many of y'all have ever been lost, honestly? How many of you ever been lost? Half the men are telling the truth. Ladies, I believe you. Right? We've been lost. And so sometimes we're going somewhere, and we don't even know where we're going, but when you're lost and you have your phone on you and you pull up Google Maps, right? All of a sudden, there's these directions on there. You may still have never been to that place you're going to before, but simply because your phone shows it, you are reassured. There's comfort in that. Or more impactfully, maybe you're sitting in a hospital and you get this diagnosis, or there's this disease. All right, whether you are immediately healed or the, the diagnosis is positive or negative, when that doctor walks in and says, hey, I know what it is, I have a plan, and we're gonna take care of this. There is comfort there, isn't there? This is what Jesus is providing. We need reassurance. We need a comfort in presence. Let's keep looking at verse five. Thomas said to him, fair point, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way and the life no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus clearly lays out here, he is the exclusive way to God the Father. And I think he lays out three very clear ways for his disciples to respond that extend. But I pause on this for a moment today as well. But I pause on this for a moment because I think this is not purely about the exclusivity of who Jesus is. I do not think this is his sole intent in this passage. He makes clear claims, no doubt, that he is one with the Father. But at the same time, again, in the situation, he's preparing his followers for what is immediately about to happen in the next hours and days. And he is also equipping them for what he's gonna ask them to do in his future absence. He is preparing them as a reassuring presence. And let me say this though, if he is not deity, if he is not God, he cannot provide this reassurance. It is empty and shallow if he is not who he says he is. And to be honest, I hesitate on this point of exclusivity. Not because I question the validity of Jesus' claim, but out of a desire that all would know the truth of the gospel, and out of a desire to not offend anyone in such a way that they would be turned from the love of Christ. You see, there is a right 
and gracious way that we engage with an unbelieving world with the truth of the gospel. However, Ravi Zacharias in his book, Jesus Among Other Gods, says this. Yet, if the human spirit is to survive in every legitimate discipline to find fruitful expression, truth cannot be sacrificed at the altar of pretended tolerance. All religions, plain and simply, cannot be true. Now, keep in mind the setting in which Jesus is operating and a trustworthy hope to the people he most loves. Does that sound like a good God? It is. These are the words of a supremely loving God whose desire is that none would be lost. And just like any of us, we get this, right? As a, a reassuring parent, when your child is scared at night, you go in next to the bed and you say, hey, buddy, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. You provide comfort and reassurance. Or a loving husband who sits night after night beside the bed of a, in a hospital of his wife. He is exclusively hers. There was no one else for her, and he stays there as a reassuring presence. But let's return to the question that Thomas asked in verse 5. Lord, we do not know where you're going. That's a fair rebuttal, right? Jesus says, you know where I'm going. Thomas says, no, we don't. No clue. How can we know the way? And like many interactions that Jesus has with people, he is thinking and operating on a whole different level. All right, Thomas is clearly thinking of some earthly location. Maybe he's going to Galilee. Maybe he's going all the way to Rome. Who knows? But we also see this in other stories, right? The Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is speaking of living water, of himself, and she's thinking of thirst. The disciples walk up, and he's talking about food, right? And they're very confused at what's going on. Jesus isn't talking about food to fill his stomach. Or even the Jews, they sought an earthly king and a kingdom to overthrow Rome. And yet Jesus, the king, was coming for a greater eternal kingdom. As much as God is concerned with the intricacies and smallest details of your life, and he is, absolutely he is, but he is always and forever calling us into a deeper and eternal need than we are asking for. And this is the heart of Jesus when he replies, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the first truth I want us to take away from Jesus' claim today is this. Jesus' claim to be the way calls us to follow. Jesus tells the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. And he tells them, I am preparing a place for you. He says, I will come again for you. Jesus not only says that he is the way, but he says where he's going. Right? And he says how, that we, how we get there. He says, I is the way. In his grace, he tells us that not just that he's the way, but he tells us the destination. Again, he's not ambiguous. He's not ambivalent with what is going on here. He says, I'm going there ahead of you. And he says, I am in fact the destination because I and the Father are in heaven are one. So if you think about this, like if I give, say, hey, after service today, every single one of you are invited to my house for dinner. Where is that? How many of you know how to get there? I said, meet me at 12.30, maybe 1 o'clock. Give me a little bit of time. All right, how are you going to get there? But if I say, hey, go up the end, take a right, take a left on Waters, right into Kensington, immediate left, go all the way down to the end, second house before you get to the Nazarene church. 
now you know that I'm there. And I say, oh, by the way, we spent all last night cooking tiki masala to enjoy some wonderful, I borrowed that from our Indian making dish friends last night as we hung out. Now there's this meal prepared for you. I've given you the directions. Can you trust that? Absolutely you can, if in fact I am trustworthy. And that is what Jesus is doing here at Davis. Uh, Christina is our missions administrator and nursery director, so please say thank you every time you see her. Particularly for those of you that have little ones back there. Jerome and I went to Costa Rica together earlier this year, and I love hearing her stories about their renovation project. They're working on a house, a new home. They might have even moved in this week, and I'm not sure yet. And for any of you that have been through the process, you from Christina, she shared stories about the progress. And maybe there has been some frustration, maybe there's been some hard times, but having talked to both Jerome and Christina, I know that they have a plan for this process. You see, Jerome's full-time gig is being a project manager and doing a renovation. I'm pretty sure there's Savannah's Chip and Joanna Gaines. Be ready for them when they get big time. But they haven't been worried. They have a plan. Jerome knows the timeline. He's one that contracts the workers. He's ordering supplies. Christina's handling paint colors and furniture. And so as they stop and think back, here's the big key. They own the property. They are in control. There's not a hesitation or maybe time that this takes. But there could be frustration and anxiety, especially for Christina, who's got baby Davis on the way, ready to nest and have a home for their baby to come home to. But there is a reassuring presence when you are in control and you know who is the preparing the place for you and that there is a home waiting for you. And how much more true is that for our Heavenly Father, that Jesus is the way home. He is the way to our Creator God. He is the way to our Father. We don't need to be anxious, y'all. We do not need to be anxious in this world. We don't need to find our own path, as this world will tell you. We simply need to follow Him. And so quickly, I want us to know, what does it mean to follow? And I want to provide one word of warning here as well. Down in verse 15, Jesus tells His disciples this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When we believe Jesus is the way, our desire is to obey and follow him, to follow his ways above our own. We desire to do his will. We desire to turn and to follow. And this is the idea behind the word repent, that we recognize our way is not right and good, that we are going in a wrong direction, that there is no goodness in life and truth. There may be half-truths, there may be half-lives in the things that we're doing, but we turn and we follow Jesus. This is the idea behind the word repent, that we follow him. Let me give you a a word of advice here. When there's a way to follow, don't put barriers between you and the way. I gave you directions to my house already. If you say, well, but I don't like the, the letter W, so I'm not gonna go on any road or cross any road that has the letter W. Well, how are you gonna get to Kensington Park from here? Now, you can do it, I think. I thought about this way too long last night and thought, which way? And we do this in, or are satisfied in our Jesus sometimes. Some of us do this in this way. We deny our lostness or are satisfied in our own way. Right, but the Bible is clear, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of who God is and his holiness, his perfection. And in fact, that should actually be a comforting thought that we are not God, that we are not holy as he is, But if you're following your own way, I can tell you if you haven't figured it out or somebody else can, it will come up short and lost and short of God the Father. 
A second way we do this is we claim to be beyond lost because of our past sin or the sins of others against us. And again, I know there's pain in our own sin and the sin of others, but again, this diminishes the holiness of our God. If we can say there's anything that's too sinful for him, is he truly holy? He's not, but he is a holy and perfect and righteous God because that his grace, his payment on the cross for us is sufficient forever. It is finished. And it is exactly those areas in your life where the deepest pain and sin sometimes has been that God uses to most glorify himself and draw others to him. So don't allow that to be a barrier. And third, there's many who cannot imagine God stooping so low into a sinful and broken world. And this is often the critique from Islam, that God could not enter into this sin and brokenness. And yet even the Quran points to Jesus as Isa al-Masih, that Jesus the Messiah, Jesus born of a virgin, Jesus the judge. And they have to corrupt their own scripture and teaching to turn away from the way of Jesus. But it is clear, and here's the thing, if you're sitting here saying, I can't come to Jesus because I'm too lost or too broken, or he can't step down into this, hear this, it is exactly the depth of your sin and the depth of his will and grace to come into this brokenness that makes his exclusivity something to celebrate. It is him and him alone that can cover those shortcomings that we, hear, that we have. He is not pointing us to a path. He is saying, I am the path. I am the road to get there, I am the car, I am the engine, I am the fuel that's in it. I am everything, I am that I am. And there is nothing else that we need. So look back at John 14 with me, let's keep looking at, show us the Father and it is enough for us. So I'm just thankful it's not Thomas doubting here anymore, right, Philip's the doubter. It is enough for us, just show us. And Jesus said to him, I, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Verse 10, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Now when we look at the statements of Jesus again, the second truth that we should take away from his claim is this. Jesus' claim to be the truth calls us to believe. Now, this is a really, really profound truth. I'm not a PE teacher, I was just an urban planner. I can tell you all about Oglethorpe. I can also tell you that nobody in Savannah planned after Oglethorpe left and died. Um, that's why we have much. Jesus is the truth. What the Bible means is Jesus is the truth. Profound, isn't it? Feel free to write that one down. Colossians 1.15, I'm excited to jump into this in the fall. Colossians 1.15 tells us this. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the one who we see in the flesh, 100% man, 100% God, the God-man, the Son of God, the Son of Man who has come for us. Because he and the Father in one are one, when it says that Jesus is the truth, it's exactly what it says. Jesus is the truth. He is the source of all truth and knowledge people in this room is. 
There's a lot of really smart people in the world. There's a lot of really smart people in this room. Jesus is the only one who is the source of truth and knowledge of who God is. And if we're looking for that truth anywhere else, it is going to come up short. There may be some elements of truth, some points that we can take away, some gleanings that we can understand, but Jesus is the source of all knowledge and truth of who God is. He says, believe in God, believe also in me. Believe that we are one. Jesus calls them to do what? Believe. But why? Why is this the word that Jesus repeats over and over and over? There's a couple of reasons here. Jesus knows that when we believe the truth of Jesus, we find freedom. Last week, Pastor Bill showed us in chapter eight, as he was setting up this series, in chapter John 8, 31 to 32, he says this, if you abide in my word, and who's the word of God? It's Jesus. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I will say that the truth brings freedom. Later, in a few verses down, 26, 27, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. Right, the truth brings freedom, it brings peace, it brings blessing, it brings right standing with God. And so often we twist this around and we act like there's so many other ways to find truth or we act like that the following truth restricts our freedom or restricts who we truly are. But if God is the creator God and he is all truth and he has given you life with a purpose, this idea that there is all truth is relative is absurdity for you to know intellectual fallacy in and of itself caves in on itself. There's this well-known theologian, some of you may have heard of him, his name's Lecrae. He has this song called Truth. And in it he says this, if what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me, what if my truth says your truth is a lie? Is it still true? Y'all, this cannot be. It's an intellectual fallacy that's not possible. And the worst, the impact of thinking like this is that it props up a false sense of hope centered on ourselves. And I don't know about you, like I think I'm a pretty decent person. Decent is a pretty low standard in front of righteousness, perfection, holiness. And then if I'm really honest, I'm like, I just lied in front of all you. I'm not a decent person. Ask my kids. Ask the people I work with or have worked with in the past. Ask my wife. Or don't. I'm okay with that either way. But I'm not that great. And if I am the center of my hope, at some point, and probably much sooner than later, that is going to fall way, way short of the hope gives reassurance. He says, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. Y'all, that is good truth. More so, look back at verse 10. Jesus speaks with the authority of God the Father. Y'all, some of us try to speak for God, but none of us can speak as God the Father with his authority. And look at verse 11. Jesus speaks of both the evidence of his visible presence. There, the skeptics say, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. 
the disciples who've been following him for three years still struggle to believe. The Pharisees have him right there. He is teaching them. I mean, he's burning them a lot, so I might want to step back too. I don't appreciate the roast. But he's pointing them to truth in himself. But verse 11, he says, I speak both the evidence of his visible presence, and then he says, or else, the evidence of his works. Jesus already raised a man to life. He threw a fantastic party, I mean, the best party guest you could ever had turned water into wine. He healed the sick and the blind. He forgave sins, he cast out demons. Jesus is saying, believe because you see me, or believe in the works. And we see this throughout scripture. Every time there is a work and a miracle of God, yes, again, he loves us, and he's concerned about the details of our life, the pain that we're walking through, the disease, the hunger, the thirst. Every miracle he's ever done, every says he's pointed to believe. But he says, see me or see my works, one or the other. They both point to me. You can know that I am true. Jesus is the reality of God's promises. When we think about Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And I know sometimes that's hard for us to understand. We don't understand prophecy. Maybe you didn't grow up in synagogues seeking the Messiah. Jesus' birth, life, death, resurrection, role as Messiah, and coming king are all foretold in prophecy. Biblical scholars identify some 300 biblical prophecies that point to Jesus. And the reality is even the mathematical probability, I'm not very good at math, don't ask Bill next week, find somebody else, but the mathematical probability that Jesus could fulfill even eight of those is absolutely mind-blowing to the point of impossibility, and yet he does. He has fulfilled scripture and prophecy. And so again, there are only two responses to truth, belief or unbelief. And it almost seems too simplistic to say but Jesus doesn't call us to try harder. He doesn't try, call you to give more, to be a better person. He doesn't call you to any of that. He calls you to believe. Acts 4, 12, it says this, and there is salvation in no one man by which we must be saved. Doubt that statement. Even myself as I say it sometimes. Truth is bedrock and eternal. But it's interesting. When Philip says, show us the Father, and it is enough, does Jesus say, get behind me, Satan? Does he say, go outside with Judas? He doesn't. He is patient. Jesus stops, and he has grace. He reminds his disciples that you have seen the Father since you have seen me. And look, we are slow and hard-headed people. I admitted to that myself two weeks ago standing up here, but we have a gracious God who wants us to come to him in humbleness and to simply believe. It's not about our works. And so if Jesus' claim to be the way calls us to follow and his claim to be the truth calls us to believe, the third truth that we should take away from Jesus' claim is this. Jesus' claim to be the life calls us to worship. Jesus' claim to be the life calls us to worship. So in Queens, uh, two weeks ago now, I'll do it all the time. Typically, it's the middle schooler and high schoolers who have no background in the Bible or church, a little different. The Lecrae quotes probably go a little bit further. No judgment, but I'm just guessing. 
Um, but I'm sitting there, I'm like, I, I need some time. And so we all went together in the neighborhood that by God's grace, Whitney pointed out that it wasn't the one we were working in, but she had made some contacts. God was calling us back there. We all walk in to this coffee shop that just happens to be run by a cult. Like, there's really nothing else that you can call. And so it's run by the followers um, of this spiritual leader. We walk in, there's several shrines. There's one really huge photo, and I thought maybe we could get a large, weird, I joke up in here, and um, we're not gonna do that. But you walk in, and it's almost weird. I joke about that, but it's, I mean, it's not a joke, it matter. You walk in, and there's this shrine up front that people are sitting around drinking their latte. You walk in the back, and we find a place to sit down. Some of them went out sifting, sharing the gospel, prayer walking, and some of us just kind of stayed back, did quiet times, read, and I start um, preparing for this sermon just to try to get ahead a little bit because it takes me some time. And I'm sitting there and I'm reading the word of God and I see this image sitting over me. I have some photos. Bill, we're not going to do that for you either. There's this golden image of their founder, this spiritual leader, all these peaceful kids sitting around and praying. And I start reading about this guy, and from all intents, super peaceful, world leader, had ends with people all around the world. If you want a great book by Miguel Gorbachev, for some reason, that's in their bookshelf as well. I don't know why. This is a supremely peaceful spiritual leader, and all these followers are devoted to him. And I start reading, guess who's been dead for 12 years? That guy that's enshrined in gold. And he still is. There is no life in following this false way. And then we have this opportunity, we spend an afternoon, first for me, um, spend an afternoon at a Hindu temple. I've got some images of, of that as well. And there's images and, and idols all around. One of the oldest Hindu temples in, in New York City, they said. Um, there was this pastor, one of the missionaries that were with, church planting pastor, who happens to have a church planted in the Kebab King. Fantastic place for a church, by the way. It's a halal restaurant that happens to have a Jesus-following church on the second floor. And we had, by the grace of God, this chance to sit in this Hindu temple and teach on Psalm 115. Man, how, just pause and think about that for a moment. We're able to walk in, and because of the relationship, this guy, Pastor Bodo, grew up in India for 20 years, Hindu background, community, now is a follower of Jesus. His grandfather was one of the first converts to the Christian life for the gospel to India. Today, two weeks ago, we're sitting in a Hindu temple with a guy who grew up in India with a father who was converted to Christianity because the faithfulness of this one who's like, Jesus, we don't know the way, is sitting in India by the grace of God following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and now is in New York teaching us how to share the gospel in a Hindu temple so that people who serve 330 million different gods, how to find the way. And we're sitting there for an hour. There's people walking around with candles, praying and bowing to idols, but they all step away. When Pastor Bodo says, hey, let us sit here for a while, and they all step back and let him teach. But every time we go around, he tells us another history of one of these idols there and who it is. And every single time with intentionality, he's sharing to us, but he knows that others are are decorating these gods for a new festival. Every time he's speaking to us, I can tell I'm sitting there thinking, he's not talking to us. He's sharing the gospel, saying, why is Krishna, like who is he? Ganesh, 
What is the falsehood there, and, and how is Jesus different? He's doing it in a respectful way, but they are hearing every single word that he is speaking. They are hearing the truth of the gospel. And so we have this time to sit there. In Psalm 115, it says this. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Right? Why should these other nations mock the people of God? They say, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel, feet but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. What it says is they are lifeless. They are as dead as the carven images and the idols. And when we turn away from truth, when we turn from the way we don't find life, we become like the idols that we worship, lifeless. And for you, that may not be a statue that you bow down to. It may not be an ancestor. It might be a relationship. It might be your own success or the success of your children. It might be your own image and thoughts of who God is. It might be your pride. But if it's anything other than Jesus, the Son of God, it ends up empty. When we turn and we follow Jesus, we believe in truth and we find life and we worship. Look at verse one in Psalm 115. Here's what it says. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Because they follow the one true and living God, they can worship him. Worship is the natural outflow of the recognition that we have been given the gift of life by a holy and loving God. Jesus is the source of life both here and for eternity. He is our model for life here on earth. He is our access to life eternal with God. And y'all, he reassured his anxious disciples and he provides us the same reassurance. Believe in me, he says. I am preparing a place for you. I will come again. And y'all, well, this life is fleeting, and it is, and many of you know that so much more than I do. It is fleeting. But Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. Amen. In John 10, 10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly or to the full. And so as we wrap and as we begin to close, here's the question. How are we to respond to this truth? And if you are here and you cannot claim to be following the way of Jesus, even the early church was called the way, if you can't be claimed today that you are following Jesus as truth, consider this. God loves you. Visible evidence of who he is in our lives and in the world from birth. And there is nothing you can do, no works that you can do to make yourself right before God. It is only by the grace of God and his son, his sacrifice, for us on the cross, that we have redemption and a rescuer in the person and work of Jesus. He has taken the penalty for our sins. And if we simply believe, turn, and follow him, we have access to God and a right relationship with him. And for those of us who are the body of Christ, who are redeemed, saved, for those who follow the way, the truth, and the life, here and forever, Jesus calls us to proclaim his name. It's not just for the team that went to Queens. It's not just for the cooks and their team that are leaving Saturday to go to Costa Rica. It's not just for the staff or the elders. It's not for the the super Christians who are on a different level. It's for the followers of the way. It's for you, student. 
you're on summer break, maybe you're home from college, you go to a bananas game and you run into a good friend from high school. It's for you. It's for you, businesswoman, businessman. Next time you fly somewhere, we had a chance to fly to New York and I flew to Louisville, had an Uber driver every different place. Every single Uber driver I had in the city of Louisville was a Muslim background immigrant. Two of them now have the gospel of John in Arabic because I was willing enough to share because of the week that I spent together. It is for you to proclaim him. And on the night he was last with his disciples before he was betrayed, Jesus was preparing his disciples for the immediate pain of the moment of his death, his crucifixion, and the troubles to come. But he was also equipping them for the future and the truth that they would need to go and make disciples. You cannot make disciples if you aren't pointing them to the way, the truth, and the life. So Jesus is preparing them, he's preparing us, and this is our culture, it's to know him, to worship him, and to proclaim to a lost world that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So y'all, let's worship him together, the only one who is worthy. Let me pray. Father God, you are a good, good father. You are good and loving. Father, now even now as I pray, as we come to worship, Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts, drawing you to the way, the truth, and the life. For those who know and love and worship you, Lord, Father, now even now I pray that you would put in our hearts and in our minds that we would pray and that we would proclaim the truth of Jesus to them. Father, help us to worship you in spirit and truth. We pray this in Jesus' name.